thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. For those of you that don't know me, we've been, uh, my husband and I have been uh, attending here for about 15 years, and we've been members for over 10, so uh, this is definitely home, and so it's a very um, dear privilege to be able to bring the word to you today. I love the Summer Olympics, the gymnastics, the swimming, the track and field, and I particularly love the 4 by 100 meter relay in the track and field, and maybe that's because I live vicariously through those runners wishing I had speed, but um, I love the Olympics. And so just to give you a few stats on, on the United States in the history of, four, of the 4 by 100 meter, 17 times we've won the world record, 15 times since 1920 we've won the gold, and 16 times since the Olympics started in 1896, we have won the gold in the 100-meter dash. So as a country, we know how to run. But in 2000, in the Sydney Games, the women's team won the bronze. In 2004, in Athens, in the handoff, Marion Jones to Lauren Williams, they dropped the baton and they were disqualified. In 2008, in Beijing, in the first round, the first heat of the first round, the women bobbled it again and dropped it and were disqualified. And the men also bobbled the ball and dropped it. I have a news clip I want you to see of this event. Disappointment is a running theme for the USA track and field team. Both the men's and women's 4 by 100 meter relay teams dropped the batons and failed to qualify. On the men's side, Darvis Patton couldn't get the stick into Tyson Gay's hand, and the baton dropped to the ground. The key is the outgoing runner, the responsibility is to give a good target. The incoming runner has the eyes. So the incoming runner has to, you know, get there, stay stick, hand, whatever you say, look for that target, put that baton in there. The outgoing runner is just supposed to give a good target, and if you miss it the first time, you keep your hand there. On the women's side, Tori Edwards and Lauren Williams flubbed the exchange, and the baton bounced to the ground once again. Williams managed to pick up the stick and finish the relay, but the team was disqualified. I mean, I saw it on the women's side that Tori actually tried to, you know, give, a, give the baton the first time. They missed the exchange, and then she actually... Lauren's hand was kind of wobbling around, and uh, Tori actually did what we used to do in college, which is grab her hand and try to place it in there, and it just didn't work. And you saw disappointment all over their faces that it just didn't work. So I want to know how the fastest individual runners in the world cannot come together as a team to win the race. You know, it reminds me of the church that sometimes as men and women who follow God and love God, we have intimate relationships with God, we can't seem to come together as the church to do what we're supposed to to advance his kingdom. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. The ek means out of, and leisio is a derivative of the word kaleo, which means called. And so church means the called out ones, the called together ones. We're called out of darkness, we're called out of being alone, and we're called together to do the work of the kingdom. You see, everyone drops the baton at some point in their life, but today I want to look at four things that we as the church can do to prevent us from dropping the baton. The first thing I want us to look at is um, in Hebrews chapter 10. 
Let me give you a little bit of background. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were starting to be persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. So obviously, anytime there's going to be some pain involved, we're going to be tempted to go back to the way things were. We're going to be tempted to go back to Judaism. But here in Hebrews, the writer is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is supreme over all. He is the exact representation of the Father. He is the best there can be. He is greater than Moses, greater than the law, greater than the prophets. Do not go back and turn away from him. Hang, hang firm, hang steady. Don't give up. You see, in verse 11 of this same chapter, it says, day after day, the the priests performed the same sacrifices over and over again, but they could not take away sin. But when Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he is now waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice of which Jesus made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's us. And the Holy Spirit has put the law on our hearts and has written it on our minds so that we have the word of God present with us. You see, as we pick this up, you can read it with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere faith and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging weather and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the first thing we can do as the church to prevent us from dropping the ball is draw near to God. When we are near to God in an intimate relationship, it increases our statistics tenfold, hundredfold, to not drop the ball, not drop the baton. There's a call to community here and a call to action through this phrase, let's draw near. And you see, in all throughout this whole passage, he keeps saying, let us, let us. It was written corporately so that together we would do this. We would do it both individually and corporately, but let us draw near to God. Last week, Jude Charles spoke on the value of the word of God. And in Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts and divides and penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. You see, we cannot come near to a holy God and not be affected, not be exposed to show the places of our lives that are out of line, that are sinful. And so as we draw near to God, it is a good thing that we get exposed. And so instead of trying to hide, 
we need to come clean. In John 17, it says, sanctify, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, Father. Your word is truth. Set them apart unto me by truth. And it goes on to say, draw near to God with a sincere heart. With a sincere heart. The word sincere is sincere. It means without wax. It's a potter's term. And what potters would do when they had mild cracks or little holes in their work, they would cheat. It takes a long time to make an actual pot the right way. So if it was just, it's just a little crack, you know, it's just a little hole. And so they'd put wax over it, they'd let it dry, they'd paint over it, looked as good as new, and they'd keep selling it. But what would happen then, obviously, if you bought it, and depending on what you put in it, if something hot, it would it would melt and have the hole again. And so in essence, what he's saying, and I, when I said two weeks ago, God knows the heart. There's no need to try to draw near and be fake. God knows your heart. That's all that he's looking at. And so don't fake. Don't be pretentious. Don't try to hide. Don't wear your mask. When you draw near to God, come with a sincere heart, no hiding, and full assurance that faith brings. See, there's something about assurance that faith brings that you know the one you're trusting in. You know the one you're trusting in, and so there's a a calmness about that. It's glorious. It's wonderful. So we draw near to God, number one. The second thing we do to prevent us from dropping the baton is the church. We need to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold unswervingly. And that, that kind of holding is like when we were in, in high school and we would go water skiing or tubing in the summer. And you would have the driver of the boat go, I'm going to flip you off this thing. You're just going to go skidding across like a stone. You're like, oh, no. And you would take that rope and you would, you know, do whatever you could to get your good grip. You know, we sometimes think it's our grip that matters. But actually, God, we are positioned in the palm of his hand, and his grip on us is secure, that nothing can take care of that. We are sure, we are steadfast, we are immovable because he has us firmly in his hands. Gail Devers said in the clip that it's the outgoing runner who gives the target, and the incoming runner gives the verbal signal, they're the eyes, to see where to place the runner place the baton. And initially, I thought that my generation was the, was the outgoing one. But the more I thought about it, it's like, no, the younger generation are the ones setting the target. And in some ways, you know, don't worry, I'm going to get on my generation too. But you haven't really set a good target because you have wavered in your commitment because you didn't like the way things were done. And you got offended because you didn't feel you were heard. And so you just said, no, I'm not going to give you that target. My generation, on the other hand, didn't like the way you did it, didn't like the way you dressed, didn't like the way you behaved, and so we get offended by who you were and your innovative ideas, and we refused to give you the baton. Both sides have lost out. And we need to repent as the church of Jesus Christ to say, no, The goal, the point, is for both of us to work together. We must work together in order for the baton to be passed, for the kingdom of God to be advanced. You see, today I think that I 
want to repent on behalf of my generation for not listening to you. Our generation has not listened to what you were trying to say. We have not heard you, we've not made room for you, and we've not given you a chance and a place in the kingdom to do what God has put in your heart to do. And I repent of that, and that has left you going elsewhere to try when you needed us to help guide you, and we needed the newness, the freshness, the innovation which God has given you to be a part of this kingdom. You see, on both sides, it is trust and pride. The younger generation, we both got offended. The younger generation got offended and went off. But you've got to stay within a place to be the change agent. You, don't, you very often change from without. You have to be within to bring about the change. And so it's pride that kept you from staying. And in our place, we got offended because when we recommended you or we gave you a good recommendation and you went out to a place and you blew it and you didn't do what you were supposed to do, we felt that it ruined our reputation and our pride got stirred up. And so again, trust and pride on both sides. We need to repent of that and say, listen, as the body of Christ, we all have a part in this that is outstanding regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic status. We are here together because God has put us here, and therefore we have something powerful as his representatives to run the race with all our might and to win very, very powerfully. You see, teammates who trust each other have a way of refining each other. And you know, there's really only one place, there's only one zone for the actual handoff to be given. It's not a very big zone, but that's where the handoff is supposed to be made. And if you step on the line, if you give the signal too soon and the person runs off, you missed them. And so we have to work together to allow the Spirit of God to do what he needs to do in us and through us. When I was a freshman at Nyack, I came and uh, I played basketball. And I was so excited to be on a Christian team and to play with Christians for the first time. But I have to say that it was the most selfish team I'd ever been on. And this one day in practice, I said to my coach, now in high school, you were allowed, if you could, you, as a player, you could call team meetings after practice. It was short, but to say what you needed to say to the team. So there was an openness and a culture of speaking out what we needed to speak. So I said, coach, could we have a team meeting after practice? I'd like to say something to the team. <laughs> so as this little punk freshman, I confront our team. And I say, guys, I was so excited to come here as a freshman, but... They're, you know, you withhold, you see people wide open and you withhold it from them. You don't pass the ball, you're a ball hog. It seems like we're trying to work on our own stats instead of trying to have the win at the end of the game. You know, it was pride because the upperclassmen didn't want to share the limelight. Because they didn't know us and didn't trust us, they didn't think we could handle the pressure. It's exactly what happens in the church, that we have not done what we need to do to trust and to humble ourselves, and to make room for someone else to do it the way God has put it in their heart to do it.
The third thing we can do that can prevent us as a church from dropping the baton is to spur each other on. In verse 24, it says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see, there's something about a team that has an outstanding athlete that lifts the whole team to become better. When you're practicing day out with an outstanding individual, everyone gets better without you even realizing it. And so this spurring is a nudging, an agitating, a a moving forward. But the, the key there, though, is that it's toward love and good deeds. Marion Jones on this team did not do that for her teammates when she admitted that she had taken performance-enhancing drugs. She had taken steroids to win, to do her best. And so all of her teammates in 2000 were stripped of their medal. Now, her teammates were able to appeal to the court of arbitration, and they got their medals back. But Marion actually went to jail for six months for lying to a federal judge about taking the drugs. Do not think that your actions do not affect other people. Your actions do greatly affect other people. And maybe that's what was happening when they bobbled the ball, (laughs) bobbled the baton, the, the conviction somehow came in there. I don't know. But Jones at one point was the most celebrated female athlete in the world. She was a runner and a long jumper, and in, in Sydney alone, she had won three gold medals and two bronze medals, and now all of that is stripped away because she went for herself to do everything she could for herself. You know, a team that likes each other off the field or court plays really well together. You can tell if they like each other or not. Otherwise, it's a certain number of individuals coming together Yes, they have great skills, but they don't like each other because they don't work quite well together. When they like each other off the court, there's something about it, and boom, actions speak louder than words. And so we need to spur one another on. Stop refusing to pass the ball. Stop refusing to see the open man. Stop refusing to care who gets the credit or their name in the paper, but to really run and to do our part powerfully so that together we win. Fourthly, the last thing we can do to prevent us as the church from dropping the baton, in verse 25 it says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And this meeting together is about encouragement. It's about accountability, love, hope, fun, joy. You see, people in our lives who will speak the truth in love are priceless. Priceless to have such folks. Don't just be someone who tells someone what they want to hear. Tell them the truth. It is painful, sure, but the truth is what sets us free. And our freedom is dependent upon the truth. It says in Ephesians 3, the purpose of the church was that the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed in the heavenly realms. In verse 10, it says specifically, Ephesians 3.10, his God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
Jesus has already paid the sacrifice. Praise God we don't have to keep going every day to make the sacrifice. He's already paid for it. But now he has put us together, and we don't get to choose who's on our team. God is the one who put us together on the team. I have a clip I want to show you of a young man who graduated from Nyack last year. He's now took take a worship pastor position in Ohio, and he's talking and making some comments about the church, and then I want to make some closing comments. Whoops. Um, and then we proclaim, we make sure that the art has been redeemed by Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we would craft our art in such an uncompromising, gospel-centered way and assume that the people receiving it do not know Jesus. So the thing about church is that, quickly, that church is a place, I believe, where the gathered body of Christ can celebrate God. But then when we come and celebrate God in a certain way, people are able to respond, and the Bible says, lift up holy hands and glorify your Father in heaven. So how about we go and take our craft, redeemed as gifted vessels, and go out to those undesirable locations, to those bars and those clubs that will let us in. And we begin to be excellent there. And you see, because I've done it in my own career as a musician, and people are waiting for a glimmer of hope because they think no one cares about and they feel like they, no one needs them, so they, they're, they're, they've, they've removed themselves. And we've agreed and removed ourselves. And let's stop that. Let's go forth um, like we've been talking about. Then um, reach, you know, we bring that gift to that place. And then um, we launch by saying, let's not hold on to the gems like they just mentioned that we have in our congregations. Once we find these people through audition, through other processes, let's disciple them. And then those who are called to the local church, the four walls, let them stay and develop and become trainers of leaders. But those who are called outside, even into the professional marketplaces of the music industry, secular or unsecular, maybe it's producers or whatever, let's send them out and not be afraid of what the Allure is going to do to them. Because we know we disciple them and we're sending them empowered. That's Amen. what I believe. Yep. So as he said, as we take our craft redeemed... You see, if each one of us is growing and developing to become who we're supposed to be, that is a powerful force in the kingdom of God. But then as we come together, we are unstoppable for the kingdom of God. And we don't need to be afraid, he said, of the allure of the world because we know we discipled them well and we empowered them. So we cannot give up meeting together. We're the called out ones to go do the things of the kingdom, and we called together. We're called out, called together, called out, called together. That is the church, not the four walls where we keep trying to get people to come here. We are the called out ones. We come to back for encouragement, but then we are called out again. And so it's very, very powerful. So as the people of God... It is time for us, like never before, to rise up to be the strong church, the powerful church, the church that loves one another, so that when the world looks in, they're like, wow, there is something about those people. No matter what they go through, they turn to their God. There's something about those people. They hold so strongly to this faith they profess. 
And we know that because he who promised is faithful. And then we spur each other on when we come back together. And we don't give up meeting together. And so it's time, church, to rise up. I used to think that uh, running the spiritual journey was like a marathon. I go, no, that's horrible to think. But I like the idea of it being a relay race. Because I can do my 100 meters, even if I'm slow and rickety knees and everything else, I I can run my portion. But then I got to hand it off. And you can run your portion and then you can hand it off. And so even to illustrate that, I'm going to have Tim come up and he's going to close it with me right now. I want the prayer team to come, but I feel oddly enough, well, maybe not oddly enough, I feel our call to response is for repentance, where we have not trusted each other and we have been very prideful and we have judged each other And we have not allowed God to do what he needs to do in us. So if you need to come forward and pray, you can pray. Maybe there's no other team people here beside prayer people besides uh, Jude. But if you need to come, come. But I want us to take a minute and I want to pause. And then just kind of see where the Lord wants to take us. I feel like it's a call to repentance. So Father... We repent for not trusting you for the people you put on our team. We didn't think they were ready. We didn't think they were good enough. We're sorry, Father, that we didn't see what you saw and we withheld the baton. believe the the spirit of God is going to bring people's faces to your mind where you did that and you need to repent right now I'll give you a minute You know, the reason why we repent is because we've been given a glimpse of something that needs to change. Something that's out of alignment with the way the Lord's calling us to live. I want to go back to an original statement that Wanda shared as she was opening. She said, many of us know how to run and run well. We're the world's best runners. But many of us don't know how to hand the baton off. Many of us don't know how to work together. That's true in the Olympics, but that's true right here in Risen King. That's true right here in New City, in Rockland, in New York. Many of us know how to do many things well, but we may not know how to do it well together. Hmm. Many of us are skilled naturally. We're talented. 
we're blessed by the Lord in many ways, but we don't know how to transition that to community. And the reason for that, she gave us two primary reasons. Do you guys remember? You guys remember? More than just two or, th two or three? <laughs> Say it out. Pride and trust, right? So here's the call. Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of God and the work for the kingdom of God? Or do you want to be a part of your work? That's the call that I think the Lord's leading us into today. Do you want to be a part of just your work? Just the work that you are talented enough to accomplish? Or do you want to be a part of the work of the kingdom of the living and holy God? Amen. And see, the thing is, I'm going to answer that for you. You are limited. I am limited. Your resources are limited. Your time is limited. Your money is limited. He is not limited. His work is not limited. He can accomplish through you and through us things that we can't even imagine. Amen. So can you jump onto that train? Can you commit as we've repented and we've said, too long I've tried to do things because my pride and my lack of trust have gotten in the way? And today is a, is, a, is a marking day that I'm saying no more, and I'm going to be a part of Hebrews being together for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Can you rise? I'm going to try to do a little bit of a repeat after me <laughs> prayer. I am not Mike Plunkett, but let's do it. If you guys would repeat after me, and then when we're done, I'm going to pray over us, and, and you can come forward. There's plenty of people up here that want to pray for you. Father, we trust you. Yes, Father, we trust you. We declare that you are a good, good Father. We declare that you are a good, good Father. And we declare that you want to be with us. We declare that you want to be with us. So, God, we declare, I mean, or, or we turn from our pride and lack of trust. We turn from our pride and lack of trust. And we humbly submit to you. And we humbly submit to you. For you to fill us up for your kingdom work. Fill us, fill us up for your kingdom work. Not for my limited work. Not for my limited work. Because your ways are greater than all. Your ways are greater than all. And you're the only one that I want to run with. And you're the only one that I want to run with. So, Father, we just seal this in the name of Jesus yes, Christ. Amen. That hearts are changed today. That, that philosophies of how we do life are changed today. That we will no longer just do it in our own accord and in our own power and our own will, but we will submit to you and submit to the team that you put around us to be a part of the kingdom of God and the work that you are doing. So, Father, I just seal this. I pray this in, in, in the precious name of Jesus, in the mighty name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus that changes hearts, that changes lives. 
Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Please come forward.